0: Today's episode highlights include growing up in Germany in a military family, culture shock, adjusting, and professional opportunities as a global citizen, the U.S. and German education system compared, the concepts of where are you from and where is home, and this week's travel highlights include Weimar, Eisenach, and Garmisch. My name is Hanni Geist. Welcome to Coffee Connections. Today's Coffee Connection is Katie Bell, Director of Global Education at Dominican University. Have a listen. My
1: name is Katie Bell, and I am the director for the Global Education Office at Dominican University in San Rafael, California. My primary role is as the senior international officer at the university, and we are facilitating the mobility of students into our campus from overseas, as well as our faculty and students outbound. Uh, One of our big areas that we're trying to focus on right now is increasing the level of access and equity that all of our students have to international education. So we're working a lot with diversity abroad as well as with our diversity and inclusion office to make sure that we are maximizing these programs across the campus.
2: I'm having coffee. If we were in a German cafe Ideally, and had this conversation, what would you order?
1: Probably a Milchkaffee, if we were in Berlin.
2: Maybe a Nussäcke. Can you describe Maybe that, a, what that actually is?
1: A Milchkaffee is like a giant latte that comes in a big bowl. And a Nussäcke is a, uh, it's a pastry that is shaped like a triangle. And it's kind of um, kind of like a shortbread with caramelized nuts on the front and each of the corners of the... Of the triangle uh, are dipped in chocolate
2: it's delicious that sounds that sounds very good yeah i i would have one of these as well you have quite a unique experience with germany why don't you tell me a little bit more about your early experience
1: (laughs) so i first engaged with germany in 1985 i was 14 years old and I was moving to a military base in the very far western part of Germany in the Pfalz the area, a little town called Bitburg, which no one had ever heard of until April of 1985 when then President U.S. Reagan, Ronald Reagan, made a visit to, the cemetery, to a cemetery there where there were also buried SS soldiers. Until then, no one had really ever heard of Bitburg, but I spent four years in Bitburg from 1985 to 1989 I went to the U.S. military school. I went to all four years of high school, and it was very much like being at a U.S., regular U.S. high school. We did all the same things that you would have done in the U.S., like homecoming or prom. We had sports teams. Played against all the other military schools in Germany. At that time, there were close to 300,000 U.S. military soldiers as well as their families in Germany. And it was really the height of the Cold War. And uh, it was an interesting time to be in Germany, to be a, an American in Germany.
2: How was that for you as a, as a young? You said you were 14 when you moved in Germany. So I was 14, yeah. Did you have any experience with, with Germany before? Or was that just, okay, my family is going to be stationed in Bitburg and I have to go with them and this is what I'm going to do
1: didn't have a lot of previous knowledge of Germany before we moved there. Uh, we actually moved to Germany from Portugal. We had been living for two years uh, in the Azores Islands and at that time it was a strategic island as a, as a stopping point for aircraft to refuel in the Atlantic between the U.S. and Europe. We were going directly from Portugal to Germany. So in a way, as a 14-year-old, I just looked at it as as just another new country that we were going to be living in for a few years. Something that kind of set my experience apart from the rest of the U.S. military was that my mom refused to live on the U.S. base. Mm. Uh, We actually lived in a little tiny village about probably close to 20 kilometers away from Bitburg. I don't know why they chose such a faraway <laughs> location and I didn't like it at the time because I couldn't see my friends very easily. There wasn't really any buses that went out to that village at that time. But by living in the village, we were the only American family in the village. And my mom set a really good example of, of integrating with your host community. And I think a lot of that kind of followed me through how I engaged with other international communities in my life and how it influenced the job that I took. But we were invited to all the village festivals and I spoke better German than most of my friends at school because I was around it a lot more than they were. I was pretty excited about coming back to the U.S. I hadn't lived in the U.S. since I was 11 and I was really looking forward to, to living here and then when I got here as an eighteen-year-old, I had a lot of culture shock. I didn't really know the U.S. culture that well. I didn't know it as a teenager.
2: Do you remember uh, what was particularly um, different for you, and and how you noticed that you're even though you are American, you are just not as familiar with American life as you were at that point with German life. My
1: roommate in the dormitory, my first week in the dorm, she asked if I wanted to go to Target with her. And I said, what's that? I didn't know what Target was. If she had said, do you want to go to Karstadt? Or do you want to <laughs> go say an ah? I would have been fine with that, but um, you know, even I didn't know any U.S. stores. When she took me to the mall, I had never been to the Gap. I had never been to Macy's. I'd never, you know, at least I had no re- recollection of that because I was such I was so young when I left the U.S. I also had a hard time adjusting socially. I, I had been drinking alcohol for some time legally in Germany, and I was really surprised to find how strict they were in California with regards to even going to a club just to go dancing. You couldn't. Get unless you were 21, which I thought was outrageous. <laughs> I, I really didn't like it. You needed a car to do everything in California, which I hated. I didn't feel like I had as much independence as I had when I was in Germany.
2: But your German experience definitely impacted your studies because you did pursue BA in German language and literature. So tell me a little bit more about your experience after you came back, once you started university, how your German experience actually shaped your career.
1: I was really homesick for my previous life in Germany or in US military Germany, I'm not sure. And I enrolled in German just because I I missed it. I was in the, let's see, I was already in upper division courses and that's one of our professors made the announcement about the Cal State program to study for a year in Heidelberg. So I really wanted to do that program as soon as possible (laughs) but you had to be a junior to get there. So I had to wait two years, but I was very excited about coming back and are going back to Germany, although it was a little bit of another culture shock for me because I didn't end up going back to the Germany that I had grown up in. I went back to more or less the real Germany (laughs) with studying at the university, living in a a dormitory with all Germans. So I hadn't totally expected that's what would happen when I went back. I had enough units from my study abroad. I came home with 45 units of upper division German Coursework from a variety of different areas. So I kind of just chose the German degree by default. And uh, unfortunately, there weren't a lot of job opportunities. At least I wasn't being very creative in finding them. I spoke German pretty well, but I wasn't really fluent. So interpretation or translation weren't really there. And I thought perhaps maybe if I got a master's degree, I might teach at the community college. So I decided to enroll in the master's degree in German literature at San Francisco State. At San Francisco State, I ended up working in the International Programs Office. And that's when I found out about this profession of uh, international education, working with international students, working with outbound U.S. study abroad students. And I really enjoyed it. I worked as a graduate intern for two years at San Francisco State. After I finished my master's, I joined the Peace Corps and moved to Ukraine and learned Ukrainian and Russian. And when I finished with Peace Corps, I was—you know—they did a lot of uh, career counseling with us, and that's when I remembered having really enjoyed my work at San Francisco State's International Programs Office. So I decided that I would look in that area as a potential career and see if there was something that I could. I could start with that. So when I came back from the Peace Corps, I ended up in Texas. I was in uh, Austin, so I, was, I applied for a job at the University of Texas, Austin. And I actually worked in their Germanic Studies department for about six months, which was great because I could sit around and chat with the faculty and the grad students in German. The Germanic Studies department was a really soft landing coming back from Ukraine. And you know, there's a certain amount of culture shock again when you, you're gone for two and a half years.
2: It's so what were busy. your strategies? I assume that's definitely one area that you that you can use at work in, in preparing your students. Have you developed some strategies how to deal with culture shock?
1: I think my experiences have really informed how I interact with both our inbound students and our outbound students overseas. I think that when the students return, they're going through a lot of different types of emotions and that's an adjustment period that kind of comes in waves, you know, when when you first get back everyone's super excited to go have a burrito or catch up with their friends and then they start seeing all the little things that have changed while they were gone the shine wears off a little bit and then there's kind of the coming to terms with how you grew as a person from having a transformative experience and how others around you may not be used to the new person that you've become so i mean there's a lot that that i can use from personal experience to try to try to work with the advising that i do i also feel that having lived so long overseas helps me better understand the experience of our international students at U.S. campuses, I have a little bit of skepticism, maybe a little bit more than most. I see the faults of in our culture in the United States a little clearly. I see it a little bit more from the international students' perspective uh, or the visiting students' perspective because I feel like I had the same kind of experience where I had kind of worshipped the U.S. and had put this this culture on a pedestal. And then when I actually got here as an 18-year-old, I saw through a lot of the veneer, I guess, and it wasn't so shiny and great. And I think that most of that came from the information I got through media, through music, through TV, through movies, which is the same type of thing that's happening with our inbound students. That's, in some cases, that's all they really remember, or that's all they really know about U.S. culture is
2: kind of what they've seen in the
1: media. So what do you tell them?
2: How Do you, <laughs> do you have some, <laughs> some advice for outgoing but also incoming students, maybe strategies that you used yourself? I think
1: that inbound students, the international exchange students, are usually really surprised when I talk about negative things about the country, you know, especially around in my situation in Marin County and San Rafael, our public transportation isn't that great. You know, international students are surprised they can't get to San Francisco very easily or cheaply. So I think initially the students, you know, when I talk to them about, especially when they start hitting their culture shock period, which is usually four to six weeks after they arrive that I think I acknowledge it. I say, yeah, we, you know, we have a terrible transportation infrastructure considering the size of this small community. I talk a little bit about why why do we have a terrible transportation infrastructure and that that ultimately leads to an understanding that in the united states independence is greatly valued the car you know is the ultimate form of independence you go where exactly you want to go when you want to go and how and it's kind of just say asking the students to think about think about looking through the lens of independence as a means to better understand why us people do the things they do And you might think oh in your culture people aren't that independent or people don't value independence as much as they do in the U.S. And that's why people come off, U.S. people maybe come off to you as being selfish or being inconsiderate or not being very family focused, depending on, on your culture. Uh, Germany's pretty independent. <laughs> German students don't usually have too much trouble uh, or even students from Germanic countries and the Nordic countries. That's, you know, independence is, in, is pretty highly Valued, uh, it's not as much. Uh, although community is, is I think, less valued in the U.S. So I think that my European students are always surprised by what do you mean by how community? little attention we pay to? Well, the the community as a whole, like we don't really care much about old people that we don't know, mm. you know. So there's not a lot of programs set up for senior citizens. And the programs that are set up for senior citizens are usually within a subgroup of our population, like the Jewish Community Center has a lot of programs. We have a community center here in Marin that's run by um, more Japanese, Korean, and Chinese community center. So we see like these the parts, the kind of the subparts of our of our community standing up and, and supporting the seniors, for example, or children is another example, whereas mainstream policies don't support the elderly and the, and the very young children in the way that they do in Europe, for example, or Northern Europe, for example.
2: Yeah, the reason why I asked is because when you said community, I... Right away, my thought went into universities and and the difference between American universities and most German universities. However, my specific experience is with the Free University Berlin, which is very large (laughs) and not just large, but I mean, the size of where departments are located is huge. So, you don't have that campus feel as you may have in the United States. And so um, actually that was, even though I came from Berlin, I grew up there for me, it was a completely different world and and really finding that community was really hard because you are independent and because you don't live on campus, I didn't feel that sense of community. And and that's why I asked uh, what you meant by that, because that was one of the things that I really valued at UT Austin and then Arizona State University is that um, there was a sense of community for the students on campus. But of course, when you talk about other aspects, then I definitely agree.
1: Yeah, it is really different for sure. And the fact that most of our, you know, most US campuses are residential campuses where universities around the world, especially in Europe or Germany, you know, you often will go to university close to where you grew up you don't necessarily live in a dorm you don't there's not really a, a dedicated campus space it's not the same type of culture and community you're not 100% immersed in it in the way that you are in the US the US campus culture is a microcosm in and of itself and it and there are no extremely young people or extremely old people on a US college campus so you're in a little bit of a bubble in terms of social issues
2: for the most part do you feel somewhat German uh, with your extensive experience living in Germany and not just studying it but but really living there for quite a while?
1: No, probably not. Um I'm kind of So a you between, fully fully adjusted honestly. now
2: you're you're
1: No, I'm not fully adjusted to the US. I don't think I ever will be. It's a challenge for me. Even, you know, I was at a I was at a gathering last week and and uh I was in a a little small town in the East Bay called San Leandro, and everyone kept asking me. Everybody knew each other. They had all grown up together. I had gone to high school together at this particular gathering, and I was kind of one of the few people who hadn't, and everyone was asking, oh, where are you from? Which is a really hard, you know, it's a really hard question for me because if I say I'm from Oakland, then people will say, what high school did you go to? (laughs) And I'll say, oh, I didn't actually go to high school there. And they're like, oh, where's your hometown? And I'm like, well, I don't I don't really have a hometown, you know, I mean, I can't say that the longest place I've ever lived in my entire life was in Bitburg. I can't say Bitburg's my hometown. <laughs> you know, I haven't been there yeah. since 1989. So I don't really feel 100% American, honestly. But I don't really feel, you know, connected that strongly to any other country either. So I kind of just kind of I kind of just live in the middle somewhere. And I think that's why this job is is pretty well suited for me. I do have the opportunity to interact every day with people from all over the world. And I'm working really hard. I feel like my work as an international educator is, is kind of grassroots focused in that I'm not making I'm not making tremendous change, but for every student or faculty member I get to go overseas and to experience difference and to be challenged by their views of how society should be structured and organized. That's one more person that's taking a look to see what we do in the U.S. that's really positive and where there are potential areas for making improvements. The world's not really getting any bigger. We're only getting smaller. And this particular industry that I work in, international education, my skills and experiences are valued in this profession. The fact that I have lived in four or five different countries for more than two years, you know, that I've worked in other countries, I can put a critical lens on my own culture or the culture that I was raised in. These are all skills and assets that, that work in international ed. What's kind of been challenging lately is uh, I've been thinking about leaving higher ed And I really wonder how you leverage, you know, your higher ed expertise into a different Mm -hmm. sector, whether it's corporate or nonprofit, because the skills that we use on a daily basis, especially intercultural communication, in theory, (laughs) Mm -hmm. those should be of value and of use. But I'm having a difficult time deciding how I would leave higher ed, you know, how that would work.
2: You actually, um, as part of your position, you went back also to Germany with DAD, right?
1: I've had an opportunity, there. they have some mini conference programs where their day a day highlights different parts of the higher education sector that they want to have people become more familiar with. And I had a chance to go to Bremen with, I'm just looking it up now, Germany Today in mm-hmm. 2013. That was a really great opportunity to kind of see where Germany, the German government, was placing its priorities in terms of funding. The interesting thing about Germany and higher education is the government, for the most part, fully funds education. So I don't think Americans totally realize that. And not only is it for their own citizens, but international students also can attend German institutions for free or with a very small service charge.
2: When I talk about the German higher education system, I have to tell them that there are excellent universities that are well-known worldwide, but there are no tuition fees. At this point, there are, because uh, it's a modern Gutenberg, but still, it's 1,500 euros. It's quite interesting <laughs> the perspective that American students have on higher education and paying for a higher education.
1: The U.S. doesn't really value education. Um, in the same way that other countries do. Back to that independent spirit, you know, we seem to have this kind of cultural lore that you don't necessarily need anything but your own self and your own determination to do well in order to get ahead. And we talk about uh, horrific, Joe Alger, or we talk about Steve Jobs, these people that, that either went to college for a little while, but they never finished, uh, and yet they still managed to create, you know, huge industries of success. And in other cultures, I mean, people really look to education as a means for getting ahead <laughs> uh, in a way that's just so different from the U.S. In a country that pays and covers education from kindergarten through Higher ed uh, is a country that is making an investment in their own citizens and sh- showing the value of education, which we 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 value in a different way in the United States. The other thing I think that the day a day also is really focused on research and collaborative research at that. And I've been really impressed with how German universities, um, especially the Fachhochschulen, they have really interesting programs where that are programs that are set up like co-op or academic programs that are not always in the traditional model and i think that that's something that's that's interesting about german universities is in some ways they're kind of they're really focused on the tradition uh, of studies but in other ways they're kind of nimble and they're and they work the way that they work with industry is, is is so innovative and we just don't even have anything that compares to that in the us
2: someone who doesn't speak german can you explain what right. a
1: let me try to explain that it's a university of applied science <laughs> mm-hmm. it's in some ways it's what we might call professional school uh, in the in the US except you start as an undergraduate and you're being trained for a specific industry or a uh, specific skill and it could be engineering it could be more on the technical side it kind of just depends Everything in German universities and the German higher education system for Americans who aren't really aware, it's all focused on getting you qualified to have a particular position and have a particular role in society. You know, which when you look at higher ed, that's another thing that kind of sets U.S. higher ed apart from other countries is we don't always look at university as job training or job readiness. Uh, We often look at higher education as an opportunity to to grow and to learn (laughs) and, and to become a better citizen. Whereas a lot of countries, especially Asian countries, you know, they're looking at how do we train the workforce for tomorrow? Like, how do we make sure that everybody has a qualification and that qualifi- and that they have a position in society? Even when I worked at a university in Australia, the Australians had a very pragmatic approach to higher education, which you don't really necessarily see in the U.S.,
2: since you've been to Germany quite a bit, I'm curious what lesser-known place you can recommend people visit that you fell in love with.
1: I think Weimar is worth checking out. There's, it's, I think, a little bit off the beaten path, and and there's so much history around Weimar. Kind of the the reason why there was a Weimar Republic between the wars, and what came of that short era um, was a kind of explosion of german culture especially in film and theater but i think that any of the i think weimar eisenach like any of those little those little towns kind of uh that have kind of been forgotten about a little bit because they were in the east for so long and then they just kind of came up i think that would be worth checking out i also think that Going to Garmisch uh, <laughs> is interesting. The Bavarian Alps, I always remember it as being um, kind of lesser known because you're down there near Austria and Switzerland. Garmisch in the summer is just so it's so beautiful. And it's just a, a really wonderful place to check out, um, especially if you can get away from the craziness of Munich.
2: So when you go, you said it's been a while that you went, but since you've lived in Germany for quite a while... What is there that you miss that when you go there, you bring back?
1: (laughs) Um, I have to say my mom just bought me some Chibo coffee from the U.S. commissary. At the military bases, you can still get all the product, a lot of the products, a lot of your uh, overseas products. And so it seems silly, but I have Chibo coffee at home. Uh, (laughs) It's a little bit of a reminder. (laughs) It seems ridiculous now that there's Starbucks. and and everything but i mean the germany from the 80s is a germany that's kind of hard to find sometimes but it's still there if you kind of look closely
2: (laughs) it's a bit like goodbye yeah i like to
1: when i'm in germany i really like to do kind of the german things you know i like oh i loved when i lived in berlin i loved going to the the flea markets on sunday And uh, if it was colder, you could get, like, um, a dump with uh, the vanilla salsa on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, like, this big steamed bun. It's this big, fat, steamed hot bun with vanilla sauce poured on top of it as you kind of walk around and look at the things. I loved buying used clothing by the kilo. Taking your bike on the train and going to Potsdam or going out to the country. I remember just I had such fun doing that. You can kind of do that here on BART, but um yeah well, as, as a german coming from,
2: <laughs> coming from <laughs> berlin bart is definitely inferior to <laughs> german public transportation well especially coming from berlin or living in any other city and not having a public transportation pass but really even as a local uh there is just no weekly pass or monthly pass so as a local, just like any tourist, you have to pay depending on how far you go and that every single time. And that's just uh, something that coming from Europe, coming from Berlin, it's still I've lived here for six years and I still can't wrap my head around that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's really hard to get used to. It's, it's just, you know, and it's, it just kind of goes back to that individual, you know, what's more important here, the individual, the community. And in the U.S., it's the individual, you know, it's, mm-hmm. that's more important that you have your own car and you get your own independence versus how is everybody else getting to and from wherever they need to be. I teach intercultural communications for business students. And one of the first things that I tell the students You know, when we talk about, and I'd say it's a cult. I think we have a cult of individualism in the Mm. U.S. It's kind of, it's kind of, I don't find it to be particularly appealing. But one of the biggest differences is if you, if you, if you see somebody who's homeless on the street in San Francisco, an American, you know, will say, it's his own fault. You know, Mm. that person made the decisions that got him there. If you see a homeless person on the streets in Germany, you know, Germans will say, that's the government's fault. And that's a huge difference between, between cultures and how, how the community takes care of itself or doesn't. You know, I think that our immigrant population, especially our immigrant population coming from Latin America or from Asia, where mm-hmm. there are cultures that are much more community focused and much more community bound, helps us. It, it helps kind of mainstream US culture kind of like reconsider how, how, we, how we define community. Mm-hmm. I remember, I mean, and I couldn't, I wouldn't have this perspective if I hadn't, if I hadn't lived apart from the U.S. for so long. I remember when I got to Ukraine and the Ukrainian, we were getting training, we are getting cultural training in Ukraine. And this is very early, 1997, I'm, you know, it's, it's only six years after the pooch, the fall of the Soviet Union, and Ukrainians are we're the 10th group of Americans to come through. So the Ukrainians are getting better at training us. And they said, you know, Americans are so direct. You have to not be so direct when you talk to Ukrainians. And I'm thinking we're nowhere near as direct as the Germans. (laughs) Like like I was surprised. because I remember Germans always being frustrated with Americans for not being direct and to Mm. talking around an issue or to, you know, taking the more optimistic side of something. And when we ask you, how are you? All we want to do is here, I'm fine. That's (laughs) great, like having that superficial kind of. And for for Ukrainians to say that Americans were direct, I was like, wow, okay. never heard that before <laughs> it's all relative
2: <laughs> yeah sometimes sometimes i play along when people do the how are you at the, at the grocery store for example and sometimes if i feel particularly german that day i just don't even answer <laughs> the question cuz it's like you yeah. don't want to know how i'm doing and how i'm feeling <laughs> <laughs> You don't, you don't. You don't want like, to hear the answers. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna play <laughs> along today. <laughs> I'm not playing your game.
1: <laughs> yeah, my. Uh, why I took my son when he was 15. In, in 2015, we went to. We went to Germany, and I took him to Berlin. And I had a really difficult time um, speaking German because. Uh, you know, I have an American accent and, uh, you know, I, people hear it right away and they immediately speak English, which is mm-hmm. fantastic, except if you want to improve your German. So I'd ask people if they wouldn't mind practicing German with me, shopkeepers or just people that we met. And one particular, I took Max to Cadeve up in the, in the um, really large uh, food section of this massive department store. And we were ordering some prosciutto and I think I wanted like I wanted like 400 grams. My son loves prosciutto, you know, and, and, and I want it. So, you know, I asked for 400 grams and she looks at me, she's like, is it just for the two of you? And I looked at her and this is all happening in German. And I said, I don't think that's any of your business. <laughs> I'll take 400 grams. And then she's like, well, it's kind of expensive. She just kind of like gave me this strange excuse about how it, was, it cost a lot of money. And did I realize how much 400 grams was? And, you know, I, I don't know. And, and I actually know the metric system somewhat. So anyway, and my son was horrified. He's like, why are you fighting with that woman? I'm like, I'm not fighting with her. I'm standing my ground. I was like, I'm not gonna have her walk all over me just because I asked for something that I wanted. You know, and my son was just like, I can't believe you were so rude. I was like, I wasn't being rude. I was having a totally normal exchange with a kind of obnoxious shopkeeper. <laughs> But that's it I mean, that was, and, and he, he just, he, he was just like, I can't believe you fight so much when you speak in German. I'm like, what? I'm not
2: fighting. How would one get in touch with you best? <laughs> well, let's
1: see. My WhatsApp number is 510 778 4768, country code 01. That's probably the best way through WhatsApp. You can also find me at, at Dominican kati.bell at dominican.edu
0: you heard coffee connections with katie bell director of global education at dominican university all content is created and edited by me honey geist did you spend time in germany as a student intern and researcher or for other reasons send an email to podcast at dad.org and be my next coffee connection I'm again recording this in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic that affects so many families. So again this week, stay safe and healthy. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you at the next Coffee Break.